welcome you this morning to Brian Bible Church. I've entitled the message this morning, Is Yahweh Still Reigning? You think He is? How many of you have been upset, upset lately with the direction of this country? Bothered anybody? You know, we got a communist in the White House who's constantly telling us that uh, Islam is a religion of peace. Though many Republicans in Congress have expressed horror at the activities of Planned Parenthood, they still signed a $1.6 trillion omnibus bill deal to keep on funding Planned Parenthood. And as Americans, we're forced donors of the nation's largest abortion chain who was caught on video discussing the harvesting and the selling of aborted baby parts. Listen, Planned Parenthood would have been shut down in an instant if it would have been puppy parts they were selling. They'd have been shut down. Last month, a lady on Facebook posted a picture of her dog with duct tape around its muzzle. She was arrested. We love and we protect dogs in this country. But babies, not so much. Something is seriously wrong with this nation. And it seems like every day our country just moves further and further away from Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Wrong has become right. Right has become wrong. Our new heroes are transgenders. Our society is absolutely addicted to entertainment, most of it which is utter trash. Tens of millions of Americans are hooked on drugs, both legal and illegal. We have murdered more than 56 million of our own babies. A financial system is consumed with greed. We treat our military veterans like human garbage. And most of our leaders in Washington, D.C. are deeply corrupt. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point, right? Our nation is a mess. So how do God-fearing Christians deal with this? It's depressing. It's discouraging. When it seems like your world is falling apart, what do you do? You know, when I read that they had signed that bill, I just got sick. You know, Ryan has sold us out. It made me sick to think they're going to keep on funding Planned Parenthood. You know, and I think many of us today, we're kind of like King David before Achish, King of Gath. You ever been in that situation? First Samuel. Then David rose and fled that day from Saul. He's on the run. He's running from Saul. And he said, he went to Achish, King of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them. He acted insanely in their hands. He scribbled on the doors of the gate, and he let saliva ran down into his beard. People, this is David, the giant killer. What happened to him? Fear is controlling David. He's filled with anxiety. So he calls out to God in his need. No, he didn't. He handled himself. He said, what am I going to do? I'm afraid. Achish, I know. Achish, 
He thinks I'm a great warrior. Well, if I just act like I'm crazy. And so he just starts scribbling on the wall and drooling all over himself. You know? Protecting himself. i got to do something here. Well, David's ploy worked. And the king sent him away. But he's still afraid and he's still running from Saul. And 1 Samuel 22 one says that David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Dulam. And when his brothers and all his family household heard of it, they went down there to him. So here David sits in the cave. He's away, he's calm, and he starts to think about what a fool he's been. Do you think God could have delivered him from Achish? Absolutely. Did he think so? Theologically, yes, but he was focusing on the problem and he wasn't focusing on his God. In Psalm 57, which was written from this cave that David ended up in after he runs, David begins to put his theology back together. See, he's away from the situation now, he's calm and he begins to think. And he's focusing on his God and what he knows about his God. He says, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. Oh, now his refuge is in God. It's not in his acting crazy. He begins to focus. Yeah, you are my refuge. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. So he's starting to realize, you are my refuge, Lord. Until destruction passes by, I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples on me, Selah. God will send forth His loving kindness and His truth. My soul is among the lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue are sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let Your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praise. Awake my glory. Awake my harp and lyre. So now you see his heart is becoming steadfast as he focuses on God and who his God is. He says, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Yahweh, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. He begins to focus on God, and his strength and his stability return to him. See, he had forgotten that God was on his side. Have you ever done that? You know, your theology works on Sunday, but during the week you hit the wall of trials and trouble and persecution and you start to panic and you end up drooling all over yourself. If you have an awareness that God is sovereign and that He is on your side, you will have stability in life. Why should I worry your fear when I know that the sovereign God loves me, is here and He's ruling, He is reigning. You know, we see the same idea in Habakkuk, that fear turned to faith when our focus is on Yahweh. And I think the thing we learn from Habakkuk is that a mind fixed on Yahweh can turn doubts into devotion and confusion into confidence. Let's go to Matthew and take a left five books and end up in Habakkuk. Here at Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4, says the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Yahweh, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, 
yet you do not save. You know, you could almost picture Habakkuk being in America crying out like this. I see this violence all around me. No one's obeying the law. It's just all falling apart. Where are you, God? He says, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Habakkuk saying, Yahweh, why don't you do something? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do you allow all the evil to go on in the world? You ever felt like that? I have, just last week. In verses 5-11, through 11, God begins to answer. We have a discourse here from God. We see a change of speakers is apparent from the verbs. Look and watch in Hebrew include the plural here, you. So Yahweh speaks. He says, look among the nations, observe. Be astonished, wonder. Because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold... I'm rising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march through the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. So Habakkuk's crying out, you know, this country's a mess, Lord. I, the evil, there's sin, there's all this. Why don't you do something? And Yahweh says, I'm about to. I'm about to send a foreign nation there to wipe them out. He says, their justice and their authority originate with themselves. Speaking of the Chaldeans. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're keener than wolves in the evening. The horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their hordes of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers like are laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. He says here, they heap up rubble to capture it. The Babylonians were known for piling up dirt when they got to a city wall. They would just take dirt and just start piling until they made themselves a ramp so they could just run up the ramp into the city. They were fierce people. They showed no mercy. So now Habakkuk's thinking, I was crying out to God, why don't you do something? God says, I'm going to do something, and now I seem to have a worse problem. How can God use such an evil nation to punish Judah? He's traumatized by this revelation. In 3.16, he says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. And in my place, I trembled because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. He was so upset here, he could have been hospitalized. What is he going to do? He stands here a shaken prophet. And his problems are real. He is fearing for his nation. Like many of us fear for our nation. He's talking about the wiping out of the nation. This is serious stuff. And in verse 12 of chapter 1, he starts to remind himself of Yahweh. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Yahweh, have appointed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. So what he's doing here is he's developing his own catechism. Catechism is uh, oral repetition, to teach orally through repetition. He uses a question and answer format. He's, are you not from everlasting? In other words, this requires an affirmative reply. God, you're eternal. You're bigger than history. 
Your plans are always good. Oh, Yahweh, my God. He calls Yahweh by the covenant name. I am the self-existent God who is uninfluenced. He says, my holy one. In other words, God doesn't make any mistakes. You're holy. You've got to deal with sin. In other words, he says, we deserve this, Lord. You are eternal, the self-existent one. We're not going to die. You made a covenant with us and you can't lie. You won't destroy us. He says, but you are disciplining us. See, God is sovereign. He is in control. You see what Habakkuk is doing? He's saying, everything I know about you, God, tells me to stop worrying and trust you. Habakkuk 2 forces, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Here's the principle. We're to live by faith, trusting in God. In chapter 3, he outlines the worst possible situation. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the flock, and there's no cattle in the stalls. In other words, this is total economic failure. They're being wiped out. He says, yet, I will exult in Yahweh. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. So no matter how bad my circumstances get, he says, I'm going to rejoice in God. He's faithful and I'll just trust Him. In Him I find joy and contentment. Now this is a stable man. And his stability is related to his view of God. I will rejoice in the God of my deliverance would be a better word there. It's not talking about you, you know, getting saved from, he's talking about salvation or deliverance from judgment here. Believers, we have to always remember that our God is absolutely sovereign. Revelation 19.6 says, And I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of a mighty perils of thunder, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. The word hallelujah is an exclamation of praise. It recurs frequently throughout the Psalms. It literally means praise Yahweh. That's what hallelujah means. Praise Yahweh. It's a praise to God because of the fact that He's ruling. He's ruling over every area of life. You know, as you see things happening in this country that greatly disturb you, try to remember God's in control. I think things are getting worse. My personal opinion is because we're under judgment. Just like Habakkuk said, you know, you got to do something here, Lord. He says, I'm good. I'm bringing the Chaldeans in. I think the Lord is doing something here. He's bringing in corrupt rulers. He's saying, you know, you people like sin. Let's experience it fullest. Let me share with you an experience I had about 36 years ago that the Lord reminds me of quite often. When I was in Bible college, I had a professor that I grew to love dearly. I remember the, the day Kathy and I went down to sign up for school. She was with me. And he was there at registration. And I went to her afterwards. I said, boy, I sure hope I don't have that guy as a teacher. I mean, he just was a little odd, you know. And it was like he's one of those guys who would get in your face. His eyeballs bug out, you know. And he just was a little odd. So I thought, I, you know. And sure enough, I get to class and I have him for systematic theology. But I tell you what, I didn't sit under his teaching long when I grew to greatly admire him. He had a Ph.D. in Bible, and he knew his Bible. We began every class time with a couple of the students, two or three, would call out a verse. Any verse they want, he would tell them where it was. 
I mean, I never saw him fail. Pick a verse, any verse. And we cross, we try to find the most obscure verses we could find and call it out and he'd say, well, that's this. And he'd, he'd name the reference. And it just was impressive, you know. This guy really knew his Bible. I sat under his teaching for years and just really, you know, admired his knowledge of Scripture. Then something happened that really confused and disappointed me. The college had decided to close. It just didn't have any local support. So they decided to close their doors. And he told us about it. And as he did, I sensed a real fear and anxiety from him about his future. He was worried about the sale of his house. He was worried about finding a new job. And I just, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand how such a man of God could be shaken by circumstances. I wondered if he really believed all the things that he taught me about God. And I remembered that experience when I was experiencing anxiety over my circumstances. And I often often have to ask myself if I really believe what I'm teaching. And when this happens, I go over and over in my mind, just like David did in the cave. You start to review your theology because your circumstances can change your perspective on life. And you got to stop and you got to pull back and you got to go review your theology. You got to put it back together and realize who God is. I asked myself that same question that David asked himself. Why so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. After reviewing my theology, particularly the doctrine of God's sovereignty, I find myself saying, Hallelujah! The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now, I want to preach to myself this morning. You're welcome to listen in. But, you know, after last week, like I said, I, I just really was distraught over the signing of that bill. I just feel like, you know, we people who claim to be Republicans, not that that even matters anymore. You know, it's Republicrat now. You know, they're all the same. I, I just feel that, you know, for the most part, they're selling us out. They're doing what they want to do. And they, no matter what they do, they just keep right on going. No one seems, you know, there's no stopping them, it seems like. And I just really believe because, you know... How does a one-term senator with no experience in anything become president of the United States? How does that happen? I think it makes sense if you understand that there's God is judging the nation. What a great way to do it, huh? All right. <laughs> How well do you know your God? I don't mean just know about Him, but know Him. You know, I really think the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of the child of God is the name, the nature, the person, and the work, and the doings, and the existence of the great God that we call our Father. To know Him. To know what the Scriptures say about Him. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because our worship is either pure or base, as we entertain high or low thoughts of God. And today in the church, the thoughts of God have become so low that we're not worshiping the God of the Bible any longer. No subject of contemplation will tend to more humble the mind than the thoughts of God. Thus preparing us to worship the God who resists the proud. Knowing God's not just a matter of theology. It's critically important for the living of our lives because all conscious behavior is preceded by and arises out of our thoughts. And if we want to live a stable life in an unstable world, we have to understand that Yahweh is sovereign. And by that, I mean 
that he possesses and exercises supreme authority and control over all creation, including man. Now, when you talk about God being sovereign, I don't, I've never met a Christian who wouldn't affirm that. Now, what they meant by that was greatly different than what I meant by that, okay? By sovereign, I mean over every event in time. Modern political science and modern religion hold to a theory that sovereignty resides in the individual. We've got to guard our thinking. Left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get God where we can use Him, where we can control Him. We like that. And the control of God seems to be the underlying theme of the positive confession movement. You just say the right things in the right way and God's obligated to, you know, under His old law to do whatever you tell Him to do. Like he's some genie, you rub your little lamp and he comes out and three wishes, what would you like? And we're no longer falling on our face and worship before God, we're bossing him around. Pink, Arthur Pink summed it up this way. The God of modern religious thought no more resembles the supreme sovereign of the Bible than does the dim flickering of a candle resemble the glory of the noonday sun. Amen, Pink, amen. That is so true in this country, people. When we say that God is sovereign, we're saying that God has the absolute right to rule over everything. Let me look, let's just look at a few texts of scripture that affirm Yahweh's sovereignty. First Chronicles 29 11. This is a prayer of David. He says, Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and in the earth, yours is the dominion, O Yahweh, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand is the power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your gracious name. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with skillful psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. I like 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That bothers people. You know, that God does what He's pleased. But see, this is a right of the Creator. When you can create things, you can do whatever you please. Alright? So He's the Creator. He does whatever He pleases. Isaiah 46, 9-11. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like Me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done. Saying, My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. I will do it. Does that remind you of a New Testament verse? I have planned it. I will do it. Sounds just like what Paul says in Ephesians. (coughs) He says, also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. He plans it, He does it. Whatever He laid out in the counsel of His will, He carries out. He calls all the shots. He rules over everything. Why is that? It's because He's God. And God defends His sovereignty on the basis of creation in the book of Job. You know, Job started questioning, and so God just talked about His sovereignty in creation. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And ended up shutting Job up. Let me ask you, if you were to come home and find your house burned down to the ground, all your belongings gone, gone and you had no insurance how do you de- how do you deal with that 
Would you question God? I mean, I think, you know, American Christianity has gotten to blame God for every. You get a flat tire, you blame God. God, you know, why did you do this to me? My air conditioner doesn't work in my house, God. How could you do this? I try to serve you, you know? It's just, it's ridiculous. What if one of your children died? What if all your children died? Would you question God? What if you become ill and can no longer work and you have no insurance? Would you question God? What if you lost it all? Everything in one cataclysmic event, your job, your car, your house, your savings, your children, how would you respond? In the book of Job, we have a true story about a a real man who lost it all. And this was his response. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. That was an expression of grief, Middle Eastern grief. He fell on the ground and he worshipped. (laughs) That's usually our first response to disaster, isn't it? Worship. Giving worth to God. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. Yahweh gave, Yahweh is taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Through all this, Job did not sin nor blame God. Now notice that Job didn't view God as passive. He didn't say, Yahweh allowed this to happen. Yahweh allowed Satan to do this to me. He said, Yahweh has given, Yahweh take it away. He viewed this as from the hand of God and his response to it is worship. In the midst of the worst calamity, he stops and he just worships. The Creator. Look at Job 2.10. He's speaking to his wife. She tells him, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? Get it over with, man. Come on. You've gone through enough. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from the hand of God and shall we not accept adversity? That's a great question to American Christians. We want to accept good from the hand of God. Anything, you know, we can get, it's great. But we don't want anything that's uncomfortable. We all think God is good when He gives us what we want Him to do. When He does for us in our lives what we want Him to do, He's good. But what we don't understand is He's good all the time, even when He brings calamity into our lives. Job's response is nothing short of amazing. How would you deal with life in His sandals? How could He be this strong? How could He stand like that? Well, I think we have a clue from the book of Job. In Job 23, 12, He says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's pretty incredible. Job's saying, God's word is more important to me than food. How about your case? Is that true? How many of you missed a meal lately? Well, you don't want to ask that this week, I guess, right? We've been feasting and, you know, partying, enjoying, you know, all God's abundance. But how many spiritual meals have we missed? You know, Job learned of God's sovereignty. He created, he controls, he learned it by spending time in the Word of God. And Christians, that's one thing we need to discipline ourselves to do. We've got to come up with a structured plan to read through the Bible. Nothing is more important than to know what the Bible says from beginning to end. To get a solid, comprehensive picture of who God is. And as we do that year after year after year, we begin to understand what the Scripture's saying. We begin to, as we're reading one part, we say, oh, Paul used that in the New Testament. I remember that. Or Paul will quote something, you'll say, I know. Yeah, David was talking about that back here. And it just starts to come together. But that only happens as we spend time in it. Our society has got to get off the entertainment kick, the leisure kick, 
and get into spending some time with our God. We we have so much time. We have things we have to do. We have to work. We have to you know maintain our households or whatever. But we spend way too much time on leisure, playing games, video games. You know, I wish I could develop a Bible video game that you know reward you as you learn Scripture. You know, we've got to spend some time with God. It's just you know American Christianity is. I go to church once in a while, and that's the end of it. There's more to Christianity than that. We have to know our God. The scriptures show us that God exercises sovereign rule over all the physical universe. He exercises rule over plants and animals, over creation, over the nations of the earth, over individuals. Let's look at a few scriptures that talk about God's rule over creation. First of all, Yahweh rules the physical universe. The scripture tells us he controls the sun, the wind, the rain, the hail, the snow, and the ice. I remember one time at a home Bible study, we got into this and, and I was talking about God sovereignly controlling the elements and someone had a fit and they said, God doesn't do that. Satan does that. Oh, really? So he, he controls all the elements, not God. You better read your Bible because the Bible talks about God controlling that, not Satan. He controls the heavenly bodies, the sun, the stars, the plants, planets. They all obey his will. Joshua 10, 12-14, Then Joshua spoke to Yahweh in the day when Yahweh delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon. O moon, in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. I don't care what your persuasion, geocentric, heliocentric, that's a miracle there, okay? Alright, whatever your persuasion might be. Until the nations avenge themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down about a whole day. Yahweh literally stopped the sun in its path. In another incident, he opened up the earth and swallowed up Nadab and Abihu and it closed up on him. Alright? God deals with sin through his creation. You know, he uses beneficent elements as expressions of his goodness and love. He gives us the rain, he gives us sunshine, but he also uses destructive elements as instrumental discipline and chastening. So God sovereignly rules over the physical universe, but he also rules over plant and animal creation. In the book of Jonah, we see God's control over a fish, a gourd, a worm. Yeah, that's right, a worm. Look at Jonah 1.17. And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So Yahweh appointed a plant. And it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head. Delivered him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. He doesn't like Ninevites coming to God. He doesn't like Ninevites being saved. But he's really extremely happy about the plant. And God appointed a worm, because he was too happy about the plant, when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. Now, the Hebrew word for appoint here is mana, and it means to weigh out, to allot, to constitute officially, to appoint, prepare. You know, the book of Jonah talks about the sovereignty of God. And I've never used, I've never seen anyone use the book of Jonah in a soul winning course. You know, they tell you, make sure your breath doesn't smell and make sure you do this, make sure you do that. But they never tell you, you know, just walk up covered with seaweed after you come out of a fish's belly and say, repent! And the whole city repents. 
Not a good book for soul winning, okay? But a good book on the sovereignty of God, absolutely. We see God's sovereignty over fish as Peter fishes all night and catches nothing. And the Lord tells him to cast his net and he brings in so many fish, the thing's sinking. He had all the fish in the sea head into Peter's net. Or how about when we see Balaam's donkey speaking? Some of you say, that's not a big deal. I've heard a lot of donkeys speak. (laughs) I'm sure you have. How about all the animals lining up to get in the ark before the flood? You think Noah went out and caught all those? Setting traps and got there trying to catch all these animals and drag them on the ark? No, God lined them up and they marched on there. How about how God fed Elijah by the brook Cherith? 1 Kings 17, 4-6 It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I will have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. That's not a code word for some Birds. Okay, he's talking about birds. I'm going to tell the birds to take care of you there. So he went and he did according to the word of Yahweh, for he went and he lived in the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. This is the original bird feeder. (laughs) Except the birds are feeding him, okay? Yahweh moved his people out of captivity of Egypt by controlling the water, insects, animals, disease, and death. So God sovereignly rules over the physical universe. He rules over plant and animal creation. He rules over the nations. And He rules over America. And we see this so clearly in the book of Daniel. In the face of the mighty splendor of the Babylonian Empire, which had swallowed up Palestine, and the prospect of further great world empires to follow, Dwarfing Israel by every standard of human calculation, the book as a whole forms a dramatic reminder that God, the God of Israel is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that God's hand is on history at every point, and history is nothing else than His story. The central truth taught all through this book is that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and He gives it to whomsoever He will. We see in Daniel 1.9 that God brings Daniel into favor with the prince of the eunuchs. God gives him favor. He's in captivity. He's a captive, but God gives him favor with the people. In chapter 2, God controls dreams. He removes and He sets up kings. Look at Daniel 2.21. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Now, you think this is just a role of Yahweh back there? In the book of Daniel, and he gave up this role later on. I don't want to be in charge of that anymore. You pick your own kings from now on. No. He removes kings. He establishes kings. And Daniel very clearly says he sets us up, he sets up kings over the, using the basest of men to deal with mankind. Yeah, chapter three, we see God controlling fire. It has no effects on his servants whatsoever. In chapter 4, we see God controlling men's hearts. Daniel 4.16. This is the king. He says, Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The king just thought he was something. He thought he was just, you know, this. look how great I am. And God said, we'll see how great you are. And this is a, you know, they have labeled this de, this disease lycanthropy where a, a man actually begins to think he is and acts like an animal. And the king's out in the garden, you know, digging in the grass and living out there and, you know, nails are growing out and he thinks he's an animal. Until his senses returned to him and he looked up and realized that the God of heaven controls the affairs of men and God gives him his sanity back. 
In chapter 5, it says God sets up and removes kings. In chapter 6, God controls the lions. You know, Daniel knew God was sovereign. His theology kept him strong in the midst of terrible circumstances. He's thrown into the lion's den. He probably grabbed the big lion, pulled him over and laid down on him and took a nice nap. You know, and he sleeps fine all night. But the king, on the other hand, is tormented. The king didn't get any sleep. He's a wreck because he doesn't understand the sovereignty of God. And he's worried about Daniel. You know the story. Daniel was fine. He would say, well, those lions had no teeth and they weren't hungry. Well, he threw all the other people in. The lions ate him right up. You know, they got hungry all of a sudden. God's sovereignty rules over all. He rules the physical universe, the plant and animal creation, the nations, all areas of each man's existence. He's sovereign, people. He's sovereign over the birth of man. 1 Samuel 1.5 But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But Yahweh had closed her womb. Hannah didn't have children because Yahweh closed her womb. Genesis 20.18 For Yahweh had closed fast the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Yahweh opens, he closes the womb. He controls the existence of man. Genesis 30, verse 2. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel. Guys, you can understand this, right? And he says, am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb? He said, you know, why are you blaming me for that woman? I can't control that. That's God who does that kind of stuff. Matthew six twenty-five. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to whether you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body what you will put on it. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Yes, we are worth much more than they. Omnipotent God who reigns, He cares for us. And Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on Him because... He cares for you. If we know that He cares for us and we know He's absolutely sovereign, we really don't have anything to worry about. The sovereign God who orders every event in the universe cares for us. That ought to be great comfort and peace. God gives us safety. Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me to dwell in safety. He provides for our good. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Yahweh. You surround him with favor as with a shield. He sustains us. Psalm 63, 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. God works all things together for our good. Philippians 4, 19. For my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. He provides. He supplies everything we need. And now he provides Romans 8, 28. And I... And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You know, that none of this could be true if God wasn't controlling everything. He protects, He provides for, He sustains His people through natural and spiritual means. He's in control of everything. You know, God is sovereign over germs. In Second Chronicles 26, He smote Uzziah with leprosy. In Acts 12, He smote Herod with worms and He died. God controls battles. Remember the battle that Gideon fought in Judges? His army was 300 strong, armed with pitchers and torches. And they won. How do you win a battle like that? You don't even have a weapon. They didn't hit him over the head with the pitchers. They broke the pitchers, let their light shine, and yelled out, and the army killed each other. Joshua won the battle of the Second Chronicles by putting the singers out front to praise God. They never had to fight. 
They marched into the battle and they were all dead and they just went over and collected all the spoil. Because they trusted God. God determines the time and the circumstances of our death according to 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. through God is even sovereign over the thinking process of man. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of Yahweh. He turns it wherever he will. God turns the heart. He turns his thinking process wherever he wants. Do you get the picture? God is absolutely sovereign over the universe. The sovereignty of God is the ground of peace and confidence to all his people. They rejoice that the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Neither chance nor malice of men controls the events of life and all their issues. Now since the king's heart is in God's hands, why do we worry about the king? We're to seek first and foremost to please Yahweh. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved, not to man, but to God. As a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed because he's accurately handling the word of truth. We believe the biblical accounts, yet we doubt God's control in our everyday lives. Yes, we know God protected, He preserved, He cared for His saints. But I'm not sure He's controlling things in America. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? You think He just, all of a sudden, you know, we got to the New Testament, God says, I'm done ruling things, I've had enough of this, you take over. Let man do it. No, He's still ruling, He's still reigning. The Scriptures aren't being written, but He's still setting up kings, He's still taking down kings. He is sovereign, He controls everything, and He loves us. So what more can we ask for? You know, if we worry or fret, I think it's only because as Martin Luther told his opponent Erasmus, your thoughts of God are too human. I think we're guilty of that, people. Our thoughts of God are too human. So I ask you this morning, is Yahweh still reigning? Is He reigning in your heart? Is He reigning in your mind? Do you understand that He is sovereign over all? Yes, He is still reigning. So don't let your circumstances to cause you fear. We need to learn to trust Him. And believers, Yahweh is in control of America. He's in control of its politicians. I know that's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. But He is. And if you really want to see things improve in this country, then focus on calling the church to repentance. Focus on calling the church to get a a decent understanding of Yahweh from the Scriptures. And calling on His people to get together to call for repentance. That's what needs to happen for this country. It needs a revival. It doesn't need some better politician. They're all about the same, okay? We need a revival. We need the country to turn back to the Lord, fall on its face before Him. And I think when that happens, things will begin to change. But that might not happen, people. So like Habakkuk, this thing might just keep getting worse, but we have to understand like Habakkuk did, Yahweh's ruling. He's doing this for discipline. And we need to continue to trust Him. That's our calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Scriptures, Lord, that clearly lay out Your control over every event, every circumstances, Lord, it's so easy to end up like David, scribbling on the wall and drooling on ourselves, Father, when we get our minds off of You. Help us, Father, to know You from Your Scripture, to commit things to memory, and then to trust You, Lord, 
No matter how bad circumstances look, no matter how evil the world seems to be getting, help us rest, Father, and your control over them and your care for us. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word that gives us peace. Amen.